Yeah, just get into a moment of prayer. Just to set ourselves. As Pastor Josh says, sometimes get the world off of us. So, let's go ahead and just begin to pray. Father, we just uh, so grateful to you. We just honor you. We lift you up because you are a good God. We're so thankful. And we are just amazed by your goodness and how you love us so well. We are so grateful to you, Lord. And I just pray that as we are together in this room today, God, that you would show up in a mighty way. And I just thank you, Father, that each and every single one of us is on a call and a journey that you have called us to. And our, our desire is to walk in such a way as to honor you and get to the place that you have called us to. I thank you that you're going to meet each and every single one of us at our point of need. And I pray, God, that as uh, you affirm your gifts and you affirm your call in each and every single one of us, that we are encouraged and uplifted, knowing that, God, you've done the greatest work that can be done on our behalf, that we stand righteous before you because of what Jesus did on the cross, that we can boldly approach your throne of grace. We can come into your presence, Lord, that the Holy of Holies that we're going to be talking about, God, is so close and within reach within our lives right now that we can commune with you and have fellowship with you. And so we are grateful today, Lord, for what you are doing and what you're about to do. I thank you for the families represented here. God, I speak a blessing over each and every single one of them. I pray, Father, that um, those that need healing, God, you will provide healing for that. For them, I, for those that have a financial need or provisional need, God, you will provide for them. And I thank you, Father, that we are established even today as disciples of your word, knowing your word, being able to rightly define the word of truth, standing in confidence, not because of our works, not because of what we think, not even because of what we know, but because of who we know and who we are in relationship with. So I thank you, God, that. As you take the words that are spoken in this class over this whole entire series, that you're planting seeds in our hearts, that you're planting something that there's going to be a time and a moment when all this comes to a place where we can confidently minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody, not being tossed to and fro by doctrine or by theoretical thinking or by politics, but being firm and grounded in who you are and being strong in that position. And I pray, Father, that uh, we will know our place to be able to minister to the lost, to be able to minister to the hurting, to the widow, to the orphan, because this is the call that you have placed on our lives. Not that we just get fat in knowledge, but we are able to go from here and be a blessing somewhere else. And so I thank you and praise your holy living and precious name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, today is our last day together. Aw. Okay, am I the only one who's sad about that? Okay, all right. Anyway, today is our last day together, and we're about to talk. Well, Pastor Ken is going to come up, and he's going to talk about the Holy of Holies. So I just wanted to do a quick recap um, of where we're at and what we have learned so far. The amazing details that come into uh, the making of the tabernacle, the instructions that God gave Moses on how to make the tabernacle, how he was specific, and each detail representing something that was 
uh, a representation of Christ and what Christ was going to do later on, so many more years later, that the tabernacle is a replica of, of a tabernacle that is in heaven. And this teaching us on how to approach God and how to have fellowship with God. And my, my, my hope and desire at the end of this <laughs> primarily, like a top, top desire, is a change in your prayer life. That's my, not my top, top desire yeah. because that's what it did for me is that it changed my prayer life yes. and it yeah. changed my understanding on how to be in God's presence. And it, 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 it helped me to understand the different levels and stages that we go through when we pray. And like we talked about last week, most people come to the brazen altar and they pray and they stop there and they go back. They never push through past that brazen altar to get to that place where you go into the into the um, when you get to the table of incense. Because remember, the table of incense and the brazen altar—they're exactly the same, but the the incense is just a smaller uh, representation of the brazen altar because it represents that I've pu I've, I'm pure now. I've, the flesh is gone. I'm now praying in the spirit. And Paul says, "What praying always in the spirit?" That means I got to get past that. And we talked about Paul praying, and he says, "What well, I, I will pray with my mind, but I will pray with my spirit also, right. right? So he's praying both. And so that's what happens. We pray when we get to the brazen altar, allow the flesh to die. We press through. And when we're pressing through, when the flesh is dying and we look at ourselves in the laver, we understood that the word of God is able to cleanse us and make us whole, make us pure, but also reflection for us to see the state that we're at. Right. And at that point, if we allow the word to just begin to regenerate, make us new, we then go further in to the holy place. And in the holy place, we talked about the, the menorah, the seven golden lampstands, the Holy Spirit giving us utterance because we know not how we ought to pray, pray. pray. but the Holy Spirit, what? He utters things that we cannot, things that cannot be said. He goes onto the throne room of God. And, and then we also read Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus lives to intercede on our behalf. So we have an intercessor. Isn't this, to me, I get, I get excited about the fact that I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to have my ducks in a row. I have an advocate who is going to take my petition yes. from my heart and place it before the Father. And not only that, I have a Savior, a Lord, who's also interceding on my behalf. How can I fail? You see, how can I fail? Most of us, we live in the mindset where we're still by the brazen altar and we think in terms of failure doing it wrong, I'm not getting it right, I'm missing right. something, this is not straight. That's the brazen altar. That's the place where the flesh has not been sacrificed and the flesh thinks in those terms. I don't have enough, I don't have support, my friends don't like me. All that negative thinking has to die at the brazen altar in order for you to get in touch with your spirit so you can call on the name of the Lord. And we talked about the table of showbread, fellowship, that fellowship is key and is important. But we fellowship, true fellowship is not in the flesh. True fellowship is when we come and we recognize that you and I are spirit called together to speak a revelation of God that neither one of us can speak without the other. And, and how important it is for us to fellowship. And once we get the depth of fellowship and the revelation that we provide one to another from the depths of what God is doing in our hearts, we come to the table of incense and that the prayers go straight up they neither go to the left nor to the right the right. smoke goes straight 
straight up to God. And we talked about that, that we are building, Christ is building a church for himself that is not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but is straight up and is not tossed. And right now we have churches that are being tossed because of politics, because of money, because of deception, because of the enemy. And they bend and they do one of these. And that's not where God is calling us to. He's calling us to have prayers that go straight up and they're a sweet aroma to the Lord and it's only when the flesh dies that those kind of prayers go up and then we go into the next room which is the holy of holies and that's what Pastor Ken is going to cover here in just a moment so I'm going to implore you to just lean in because I'm excited. I would have taken this class away from him, but uh, he wrote the book on this stuff. So, <laughs> well, I so, I so anyway, Pastor Ken, come on up here. Okay. I didn't use the mic, but uh, I think I was loud enough. Hopefully, you captured it. Man, you preached me happy. That was good stuff, wasn't it? Wow, awesome, Tondra. You're something else. I'm gonna move this around. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Yeah. Well, we're at the. We're at the good part now. Oh, it's all good, right? It's all good, but this is the destination point we're at now. This is what we're looking for. We're on a journey, and this is really a picture. You know, we're talking about uh, types and shadows and, and what that really means. This is a picture of you got home. This is really a picture of heaven. When we walk into the glory of God, and that day is coming. We're all headed that direction, right? Some of us before others. <laughs> I'm probably going to go before most of you because I'm a little bit older. And, uh, uh, and, and it's a, we're, we're going to be in the glory of God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Isn't that amazing? But it's also a picture of, of what God wants for us here on the earth, which is to walk in his presence. This is the presence of God. And, you know, I was thinking about this. I've got a dear, dear friend that... Uh, uh, has esophageal cancer right now. This is a guy that probably one of my closest friends on the earth. He he lives in California. He's a pastor, just a tremendous guy. And he and his wife and I and Trudy take vacations together just about every year for the last I think eight years. And we take train rides and and we we'll, I go preach at his church and then we take off and have have fun. And this guy's just my friend. And I'm thinking about him. You know, we're believing God. He's in a he just had the surgery. He's doing pretty good. It's tough, though. It's tough. Uh, I'm keeping up with him every day and talking to his wife, talking to his kids. And, uh, you know, I, I want my friend on the earth right now. You know what I mean? Because he's my friend. I, you don't have that many friends in life, I don't think. I, I know a lot of people, but this guy's a friend. And we've proven some things together. And, you know, I, I think also the Ark of the Covenant is all about... Just to boil it down, God wants to be your friend. He wants to know you. He wants to. He wants you to know Him. He just loves us, and He wants fellowship with us. And He's paid such a price. Had uh, you know the the whole Bible is about this journey to Him, because we got away. We all got away. And but this journey ends in the glory of God. In our life right now, every one of us have challenges today. As I'm looking at you, you got challenges you're facing. We all do. And yet, you're going somewhere. You're going to heaven one day. So we're going to heaven, but then we're going to this place where we're growing in Him enough that we can walk with Him now in that glory. And it's also a picture of who, who you really are, the real you. 
So this is good stuff. Uh, so let's jump right into this this morning, and let's let's talk about we're at the uh, altar of incense. We're we're praying. We've come this far, and now there's a veil. There's a barrier. There's a curtain. And this is called the veil. This veil was a curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. It was made of linen with cherubim of gold embroidered. I'll read about it in Exodus 26:31, And it says this, For the inside of the tabernacle make a special curtain of finely woven linen, decorated with blue, purple, and scarlet, thread with skillfully embroidered cherubim, hang the inner curtain from clasps, and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. This curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. So this curtain or this veil is a figure of the humanity of Jesus. And it talks about this in Hebrews 10, 19. You taking notes on all these scriptures I'm giving you? Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. His flesh. Jesus, God, had to put on flesh. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? He downsized to the place that we are. He put on flesh so he could go through and experience everything we as human beings go through in his flesh. He knows pain. He knows cold. He knows hunger he has flesh just like we do so he can totally identify with us this word uh, or this term veil means to hide or to cover and no center uh, no no sinner once again we remember this no sinner could enter through the veil no ordinary priest could enter the veil the only one that's able to enter the veil is the high priest and he can only do this once a year and I'm going to read about this in Hebrews 9, verse 3. And it says this, And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost this sig thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. So, we're at the veil now, but in Christ, the veil has been moved, and it's been lifted, and now we're walking into the glory. You ready? Here we go. You have a picture of the Ark of the Covenant right there. Uh, in fact, pass those out. This is what the Ark looked like, and the Ark of the Covenant represents the glory of God. The Ark of the Covenant represents the spirit of man. Remember, we are a spirit we have a mind, will, and emotions, and we live in a body. So this is a picture of the spirit, the spirit of man. The ark was the purpose of the entire journey. The ark was a holy destination. The instructions God gave to Moses for building the tabernacle, remember we talked about this, actually started with the ark. And what, what builder begins building a house by planning out the furniture? You don't do it that way, right? But God did it that way because this is the purpose of the whole deal. And God wanted that stated. That's why he talks, uh, talks about the uh, ark first. The ark represents the heart. Uh, God always deals with the heart first. The ark was where God actually lived on the earth. The presence of God was in that ark. 
Uh, Psalm 99, verse 1, many scriptures speak of this, but it says this, The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. That's the two angels on the end of, of the mercy seat that you're looking at on the Ark of the Covenant. It says, Let the earth be moved. The Ark represents the throne of God on the earth. And it represents that God always works from the heart first. He begins his work in the heart. He doesn't fix you. He doesn't say, come to me, get your act together, and then I'll receive you. He doesn't say, come to me, get your flesh all in lined up, start thinking the right way. He doesn't do it that way. No, he begins when we are all pretty much rank sinners. I was. And he comes and changes you beginning on the inside, right? And that's what happened to me. I remember when this happened to me. I remember I was this person, okay, over here, and I was on the road to alcoholism, and I didn't like that, but I had no power over it. I'm drinking every day of my life. I'm getting up, and I'm only 19 years old. Buddy, I was on the road. My dad was an alcoholic. Alcoholism was way back in my family, and those things can be passed on. And so, you know, I remember watching him as a kid, and I would think, I, that's awful. I never, I will never, never do that to my kids. I would never do that. And and I, I didn't drink anything until I was 17 years old. But then when I took my first drink, it's like, what in the world? It's, it grabbed me. Because I, why? Because there's something, there's a weakness in my flesh. And every one of us have a weak place somewhere, our weak place is in our flesh. And our flesh, you know, it's, it, it's not going to do the right thing. Your flesh is not born again. But I remember when I got right with God on the floor of my little apartment that night, and I got came to the Lord, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I remember thinking, as I was praying, I was thinking this, I hope I can do this. I don't want to be a hypocrite, but I'm going to jump in here because I, I know I need this. And I remember getting up and thinking, wow, things seem different. And I went to bed, and I got up the next morning, and it, I, I looked outside, and the sun was brighter. It's like things had changed. I'm seeing things I've never seen before. Not because my my mind has changed. Not my flesh is, hasn't changed. In fact, we went. To, I remember going to the grocery store the day after I, I committed to Christ. And and Trudy and I are in this little store, and we're walking around. I think we were at the, like the meat counter or something. And I, something happened, and I cursed. I said a curse word. And so, okay, that was no big deal to me. I knew I would curse all the time. I was a good curser. I was pretty good at it. My dad was a champion curser. He was very creative. I remember him. But So this is part of me. But I said it that day, and I looked at her, and I said, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I never said that to her before. You know, that was the first thing that told me something's different about you. And it, it was my heart. God changed my heart in a moment of time. Isn't that awesome? So this ark represents the presence of Christ in the midst of his redeemed people. Uh, not only with the nation of Israel, but in the midst of my redeemed person. He's in there. It represents the glory of God revealed in divine order and worship. The ark represents the fullness of the Godhead bodily revealed in Jesus Christ. It was the place where the Shekinah glory of god lived the raiders of the lost ark movie they got it right pretty much it would melt your stinking face off if you tried to touch that thing and you you weren't redeemed it was a real thing so let's talk about the building of this thing go to exodus 25 verse 10 it says this have the people make an ark of acacia wood 
a sacred chest, 45 inches long, okay, 27 inches wide. It's only a couple of feet wide and 27 inches high. Overlay it inside and outside with pure gold and run a molding of gold all around it. So you can see this piece was the, just the it visually, the crown piece of the Ark of the, uh, of the Tabernacle of Moses was the Ark of the Covenant. It was beautiful. It was made of wood and gold. It was overlaid with gold. Gold represents divinity in the Bible in types and shadows. Wood represents humanity. So it was a per perfect picture of the duality of Christ, the God-man who was to come. And Colossians 2.9 speaks of this. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The lid or the mercy seat was removable. There were things inside we'll talk about. And it was made of pure gold. There were four rings on the corner of the ark for transport. The ark is, uh, is marked by the number four in biblical numerology. So in numerology, in biblical numerology, according to a guy named E.W. Bullinger, and, and I would encourage you to write that name down, uh, Bullinger was a scholar back, um, I don't know, 100 years or so ago. He's got an incredible book called Number in Scripture that rocked my world when I read this about 25 years ago. Uh, Bullinger, B-U-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. And he breaks down what the numbers mean because God is into the numbers. Numbers have great spiritual significance. So four in numerology is the number of God's creation. So it's like you have three and then one is four. So here's what I mean by that. You have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that's three, and then creation, and this is God. This is the way he operates. Uh, it, it speaks of God's created works. God is known for his works. The number four represents the balanced representation of Christ. We have four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they speak to Christ in different ways. Uh, Matthew is Christ our king. Mark is Christ our uh, servant. Luke is Christ as a perfect man. And John is Christ as a son of God. Uh, so the fourfold representation of Christ. Uh, also, uh, he was the four things. He was the son of David. He was the son of man. He was the son of Adam. And he was the son of God. Four things about him. God is light. God is spirit. God is love. God is a consuming fire. Another four, he's perfect, excuse me, perfect holiness, perfect righteousness, perfect love, and perfect faithfulness. So it was important, this ark, how it was handled. Very important because, remember, the presence of God lives in that. Now I'm going to deviate for a minute and talk about David. And when uh, David became king of Israel... One of the things that David wanted to do from the, in the very beginning of his reign was to have the presence of God, the ark, back in Israel. Now, what had happened was, uh, in the time of Saul, the ark had been taken by the Philistines. And the Philistines stole it thinking they could have the presence of God in their land, and it didn't work. <laughs> because when they tried to set the ark up, uh, it began to cut off the heads of all the Philistine gods. This is true. 
And so they, in, in fact, they, they all began to get cancer. They began to get tumors. You can read about that sometime in the Bible. So the Philistines woke up and said, hey, our problem is we got this, this thing and we're not supposed to have it. So they sent it out. They got rid of it. They wanted to get rid of it. And so David, when he took kingship, the ark was not in Israel. In fact, Saul had been king for a long time, but he had never sought the ark, he, which tells you Saul was a backslidden king. He didn't look for the presence of God. He didn't seek the Lord. But that's the first thing that David wanted to do was to bring the ark back. And so we read about this in 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to read some scriptures about how David at the first wanted to bring the ark back, and let's see what happened. It says, Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Baalah of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the ark as it left the house. So they go to Abinadab's where they find the ark, and they put it on a cart. All right? Track it with me? Verse 4, they're carrying the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. Verse 5, David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, cymbals. So this is David, and David was a praiser. David loved God. He was a singer. He was a musician. He's like David Terry, okay? David, good, good name to celebrate David Terry. So they're singing and playing. Why? Because it's proper to worship the Lord when His presence is around, right? And David knows that. That's one of the reasons David was such a great king, because he had such a heart for God. He loved the Lord with all of his heart. But then something happens in verse 6. And when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Seems like a good thing to do. The ark's going to fall off the cart. Uzzah, being a responsible man, reaches out grabs the ark. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. Wow, this is an interesting development. I mean, we've got the praise and worship service going. Everything's wonderful. The anointing's flowing. Uzzah just reaches out to touch the ark. Remember, you're not supposed to do that. But Uzzah's trying to do a good thing, but he died dead. I mean, he's... And, yeah, that's kind of put a little damper on the service, wouldn't you think? If one of the praise and worship leaders dies this morning, that's going to put a damper on the whole day. Wouldn't you agree with that? But that's what happened. In fact, uh, verse 8, the Scripture says that David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah as, as it is called today. Verse 9, David was now afraid of the Lord and asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household because they had the ark there. But what, what in the world just happened? Well, you're not supposed to touch the ark. And it was serious, serious business. This is the glory of God on this thing, remember? And the average person is not supposed to touch it. And so, but, and so for a three-month period, David's upset about what happened. 
He's upset about, you know, to Uzzah and his family, I'm sure. But he's upset at God. And it's like, God, why did you let this happen? But we don't read this. We read this between the lines. But here's what must have happened. David must have went back and studied the Scripture to see if he could have missed it somewhere. He thinks he's doing the right thing. But you know, when things aren't going good, you ought to write this down. Go dig in the Word and see where you're missing it. Because God doesn't miss it, right? It's usually us. There's something we are not connecting on. We're not quite doing just right. So we need to see what the Bible says about it. And so David must have done that. And he's discovered that the ark is not supposed to be moved in a cart. It wasn't supposed to be that way. In fact, Exodus 25, 13, I think he read it, says this. Make poles from acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to carry it. So it's supposed to be carried with poles through those four rings. Remember the number four on the ark? And it's supposed to be carried by men. It's not supposed to be pulled by animals. This is telling us there's a revelation here that one of these days that ark is going to be carried by people. You know, here's the brilliance of the church. It's not we're just an organization meeting and we have leadership and we're doing all these things and so we have a common goal and all that's true. And yet here's the beauty and the brilliance of the church. It's not that we're all just looking to God. We actually, all of us, are inhabited by God. As a church, we're inhabited by God, you know, generally. But individually, God lives in His people. Isn't that amazing when you think about it that way? And he wants to be carried by his people. So God wanted men to get to carry the presence of God. So David studies this out, and we look in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12, and it says, uh, Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God, because the presence of God was there. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. So now they're doing it right, and they're carrying it on the, the, the poles or the staves, and it's being borne by people. So let's pick this up in verse 13, 2 Samuel. Everybody tracking with me? Y'all doing good? Okay, it says, so they're bringing the presence back, and they're heading to Jerusalem. It said, after the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Now think about that. They're walking six steps. They stop, and then they make a sacrifice. And they're celebrating the presence of God coming back in to Jerusalem. And David, verse 14, And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. I mean, they are celebrating, folks. We're having a party. It's just, you know, we're sacrificing animals. We are having a time. Verse 16, but as the ark of the Lord entered into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul. Now remember that statement. Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. Now she's David's wife, but she's the daughter of Saul. I'll come back to that. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. She was embarrassed. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and 
peace offerings unto the Lord. So David, okay, this is the king. But David takes off his kingly robes, and he's like made himself a common man, made himself a commoner. And he begins to praise God and to dance and to rejoice. He physically humbles himself as the ark is moving. David is the king, but he humbles himself because he said, Folks, listen, this ain't about me because the real king is coming into town. The king's coming into Jerusalem. And he just has a fit about it. It's just he's, What an example to the nation. To, to His humility and his zeal for God. And, you know, the Bible says that David was a man after God's heart. That doesn't mean David was perfect because he was not. He made some big mistakes. But even at that, he was always after God's heart. He was chasing God with his heart. Isn't that good? That's what we're supposed to do. But he's just having... A time with the Lord. It reminds me of a what was a couple of weeks ago in prayer. We were having prayer on Wednesday. And and the joy of the Lord hit us about, I don't know, 30 minutes in. Were you here that day? It was awesome. And and so I, I look up, I'm up front and we're all praying. You could that's God was moving. You could sense something's happening. Some people got healed that day. And uh, I look up and I see this lone little figure running around the back of the church. And then I look up and it's Sarah. It's, it's my daughter-in-law, Sarah, and she just comes flying by me, comes running by Trudy. When she ran by Trudy, who was leading, Trudy just nearly had a Holy Spirit fit. And she makes a couple of laps around the church, and somebody says, well, what's she doing? She was excited about God, and she couldn't help it. She had to move. Because if you really, if the Holy Spirit gets on, you've got to do something. You've got to sing. you got to, and hallelujah. God wants that for us. So let's, let's jump to verse 20 finish this up when david returned home to bless his own family michael the daughter of saul remember that the daughter of saul came out to meet him she said in disgust how distinguished the king of israel looked today i mean she's putting him down shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do wow david retorted to michael i was dancing before the lord who chose me above your father and his family. David gets ticked off, and he starts, he's kind of he's chill in the beginning, but he's going to get going, okay? <laughs> he appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. I mean, he says, darling, do you, are you offended at what I did today? You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm just getting warmed up. I'm going to really go for it in a minute. But, but those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout the rest of her life. Now, there, there's an interesting revelation here. Michal is kind of like a type of the church that but refuses the presence of God, if you will. Because think about it. Michal, the word Michal actually means who is like God or who is perfect. So she's like a picture of the church who has been made like God. She was the daughter of Saul. You know, it says the daughter of Saul. doesn't say the wife of David. So this is telling me that, that Saul and his, his ways are having more influence on this girl than David, her husband, who she should have been flowing with. Uh, she was in, in the line of, of royalty. She was the daughter of a king. That's the church. She was bought by David with the blood of circumcision. 
Now, David came to Saul when he wanted to marry her, and he said, can I marry your daughter? And Saul says, okay, yeah, you can marry her, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring me back proof that you've killed 100 Philistines, right? And uh, he, he said, here's the proof. Bring back their foreskin, which tells me he's probably going to have to kill them because no man's going to give that up without a fight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't bring back 100. He brings back 200. 200 Philistines uh, had to pay for their, for, for their life in order for him, her to become his wife. That's a picture of the church bought by blood. She was the daughter of Saul. Saul had more influence on her. Yet she despised, she was a picture of the church, but she despised expressions of worship as she moved back from the presence of God. Do you know people do that in our time now? Do you know in my time I've seen that? Churches go, okay, well, yes, we used to really be bold about the things of the spirit and our worship was exciting and yet we don't want to offend people <laughs> so we're just kind of kind of tamp this down to the point that you know i've seen churches that were blowing and going i don't know what i don't know what all i'm trying to be critical but they lost what they had with god you can do that did you know that and uh Second generation comes along, third generation come along that didn't know the Lord like the first generation that started that church. And God wants the church to be on fire and to, to worship. And that's one of the things that the Ark of the Covenant is about. It's about our expression of our worship unto Him and our connection with Him. So back to the, the making of the Ark. Uh, jump back to Exodus 25, 16. Uh, when the Ark is finished, placed inside it, the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant which I will give to you. Then make the ark's cover, the place of atonement from pure blood, and we are from pure gold, I'm sorry. And then we read the dimensions before. Verse 18, Exodus 25, 18. Then make two cherubim from hammered gold and place them on the two ends of the atonement cover. The cherubim will face each other and look down on the atonement cover with their wings spread above it. And you can see that in the picture. As they're looking at each other with the wings out, they will protect it. Place inside the ark the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you. Then put the atonement cover on top of the ark. I will meet with you there, verse 22, very critical. I will meet with you there and talk to you. Everybody say, talk to you. This is the place where God talks to us and speaks to us. God wants to talk to his people. He wants you to talk to him, but he wants to talk to you. God wants us as the ark, as our ark develops to learn his voice. Jesus promised that. He said, my sheep will know my voice, and I'll speak to them. Isn't that incredible? I will meet with you there and talk to you. That's really the purpose. From above the atonement cover, between the gold cherubim that hover over the ark of the covenant, from there I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. So once again, the high priest was the only one who could enter the Holy of Holies only once a year on the great day of atonement with blood to make atonement for the sins of the people for the entire year. Uh, and on that great day of atonement once a year, the nation would fast and pray and ask for forgiveness of sin. The high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. He would sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat of the ark and burn incense. 
The incense, once again, Tondra, I talked about this, represented, represented the prayers and the worship of the people. It was here that the high priest would communicate with God. He wore a breastplate when he went in. He had a, uh, his garments were very rigorous that he had to wear a particular way. Well, one of the things he had was, and this breastplate was a, a 12 stones that represent 12, the 12 tribes of Israel. They can't come in, so he's representative of them, right? And if he failed to obey in any way in his dress, it had to be perfect. His approach, his application of the blood, he could literally die dead in the Holy of Holies because it was that serious. Just like Uzzah, he could die. The high priest, the one ordained from God. And so for this reason, they would put bells attached to his robe, had little bells on the, on the edges of the robe, and then they put a rope around his ankle. So if, they, if they, there comes a point and somebody must have from a distance been listening and they hear the bells ringing because he's moving around and he's fulfilling the high priestly duty, but if the bells stop, for a long period of time, they're going, uh-oh, we just lost a high priest. Well, here's the problem. Nobody else can go in there and pull him out because somebody tries to do that, they're going to die too. So we got, a, we got an, an issue. Priests are stacking up, okay? So therefore, let's tie a rope around his ankle so if he does die, we can pull him out of there. That's how serious this was, this, this uh, glory of God that was in him so the blood of jesus changed the throne of judgment to the throne of grace isn't that good go to hebrews chapter 9 verse 11 and let's read about this for the new testament once again this is all pictures and types and shadows of what we have in reality in christ tondra i talked about uh, how the the ark affected him when i began to study or not the ark but the the to study the tabernacle it changed my life i got a brand new breath of fresh air about my revelation of god when i began to see these things and how how powerful this picture was and how it declared what we have as a church such a beautiful thing so hebrews 9 11 says this so christ has now become the high priest over all the good things which have has come he is the high priest administering these things to us now from heaven. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Wow. Under the Old Testament, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why, verse 15, that is why he is the perfect. He is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised him. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins that had committed that they had committed under the first covenant. Isn't that awesome? The blood of Christ becomes our propitiation to avert the wrath of God because of this gift of Jesus Christ that has come Romans 3 25 says it this way whom God set forth as a propitiation 
through faith by his blood to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that had that were previously committed wow praise God let's just stop for a minute thank God for that Lord thank you for the blood of Jesus that you said speaks better things than the blood of Abel it, he is the one mediating even today as we pray when we pray he mediates between us and and heaven he is the one that touches both he is that umpire that job talked about that's able to bring us to god that it was able to set a hand on humanity and then a hand on god there's no gap now there's no gap we have perfect uh, fellowship with you we can come in boldly into this place into the holiest of all into the presence of god because lord is so beautiful that that presence not only can we come in but now he lives in us forever and ever and ever oh we thank you for it lord hallelujah glory to god glory to god i sense the anointing i sense the anointing so the ark contained three things there were three things in it that speak to us number one the ten commandments the law were in the ark the original stone tablets that god wrote on that moses brought down they were put into that ark put into the ark the mercy seat removed put in there and then some of the manna from the wilderness was saved and put in there and then aaron's rod that budded during the time when moses and you know was coming into the promised land and there was an authority question and some people tried to rise up and kind of take over there was like a church split in the wilderness right <laughs> that's what that was and so god says i'm going to show you who's who's really has the authority aaron's rod represented his authority and that rod which was a stick budded stuff began to grow on it which says okay god's on this guy this is the one because life came out of that thing so all these things were in there to represent things about god the ten commandments represent the, the word of God are the terms of the covenant. The terms of the covenant. Number two, the manna represented the Holy Spirit. The manna came on a daily basis. It was fresh food every day. And so this represents the Holy Spirit in our life that brings life to the commandments. And then Aaron's rod that budded. This represents the authority that has been put into your spirit by Jesus Christ. We have authority over, first of all, over the devil. But then you have authority in this earth to fulfill your purpose. Because every one of us has a purpose to fulfill. Generally, as a church, we have a purpose for being here. We are the light of the world, generally, okay? We are the answer. We are heralding lights coming out of this church this morning. There's other churches. We're not the only one, but we are one of them. Where God's hand is on that, right? And... Uh, so all these things were in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, let, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 9. I, I know I'm reading a lot of Scripture, but this is study time, right? Hebrews 9 talks about this. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. This is a picture of the Spirit, once again, the Spirit of man. When we receive Christ, the Spirit comes in to make His home in us. And as a believer, we are indwelt with the manifest presence of God and the glory of God in us. It's true. In your spirit is the authority of, Adam, of Aaron's rod. In your spirit 
is the terms of the covenant. Now, here's a big if about this. If you put it in your mind. We have to put it in our mind. In other words, there's a part we have to play. But then your spirit's bearing witness to it. And really, you put it in your mind. It gets in your heart. That's the word of God. And then is your, in your spirit is the ability to access or eat the manna on an ongoing basis every day. The manna is being led of the spirit, hearing from the Lord, praying, and then praying in the spirit. And this is a big one. Tondra, I mentioned this. But here's one of the big things God wants for us. That, that, that separates us is we can pray in the Spirit. Not praying with our natural man. This is praying in a language God gives us. Praying in the Holy Ghost. And that's prayer coming out of your spirit. And, and the, the brilliance that God did with this is it bypasses your mind. In fact, your mind hates it when you do that because your mind wants to understand everything. And you start praying in the Spirit, and you begin to pray in your prayer language, your mind's going to start going, hey, stop doing that. I don't like that. Quit it. Because remember, it's just your mind. Your mind's not redeemed. Your mind's not your spirit. Your spirit's wall-to-wall God. But your mind's going to go, don't do that. I don't understand that, and I like to understand things. Your mind always wants to figure everything out, right? That's your mind. And so you have to, you have to discipline your mind. And you have to say, no, no, no. Because when I pray in the Spirit... I'm not just jibber-jabbering here. I am, Scripture says, talking to God. I am praying a direct prayer to God. He understands it, bypasses my mind, but it's edifying my spirit, man. It's edifying my spirit, man. And I'm also praying out mysteries, it says in the book of Jude. I'm praying out mysteries. Mysteries are things you, you don't know about your future. Mysteries are, are, are directions and road, roads God has for you to walk on. Because sometimes your mind thinks it's supposed to be a certain way. But a lot of times it's not the way your mind thinks it's supposed to be. But you praying in the Spirit allows your spirit to begin to take ascendancy. So your spirit can get in, your mind then can get in tune with your, your spirit. So you can go where God wants you to go. Can I tell you something this morning? I've been serving God for over 50 years. I've been in the ministry over 40 years. And pretty much nothing went like I thought it was going to. <laughs> Just following God, it, it pretty much has never gone like I thought it was going to go. Like, okay, I knew I had a gift of music. And so I'm thinking, okay, God's going to use me musically. And, and, and he did. I began to lead worship in a church when I was young and, and played the drums and sang. And, I, and, and so I'm thinking, well, one of these days I'm going to write some songs and I'm probably going to be a famous Christian music musician. I'm probably going to win some of those dove things, you know. I mean, your mind goes all, you know. And, and so, but no, no doors open for me to do that. But a door open for me to get involved with this guy in children's ministry. Children's ministry, really. I didn't. I didn't have anything against little kids, you know, but to me, that wasn't like big-time ministry. I think a lot of people look at it that way. This is children's ministry. This is kind of way down here. Not in God's eyes, it's not. But I began to do it, and then I got, I, I, I got on a TV show, and I became a part of this TV show called The Gospel Bill Show back in the 80s. Some of you are shaking your head. And, you know, when we got into that, we didn't know what we were doing Willie George was the leader. I was kind of like his right-hand man. But I got to tell you, we, we got into TV. We didn't know how to do TV. We are just following God. But it worked. It gelled. It, it, we began to have a blessing on it. And, and, and we began to get on these Christian networks. 
and it went all over the country. And the songs I wrote for kids' music that I'm writing these songs thinking, well, I'll do this for a while until I get to where I'll win my Dove Awards and stuff. But that's the thing that God blessed. And do you know I never won any doves? Never won one. That wasn't the way God had for me to go. What I thought in my mind sounded good was not what God had for me. He, I had an idea because he'll give you ideas. You're not in the dark, but he'll just give you little inklings. And he wants you to follow him and, and serve him and grow and grow up. <laughs> uh, uh, listen, a lot of things uh, about life are just growing up, but just growing up in him. And then, you know, we did that, and then Trudy and I traveled on the road for 20 years, and that was all good. And we taught on family stuff and taught about raising kids. And, and, and I didn't see, though, that one day this little kid we had back in 1979, we had a daughter, and then we had this son. And, you know, he just born just a knothead kid growing up. You know how kids are. I didn't see this, but I didn't see one day he'd be pastor of this church. And, and one, one day, I would kind of be working for him. Wow, that's weird, you know? You don't see these things in the beginning. But things happen, and when you follow God, and you know what? I'm having such a good time right now, just be honest with you. Because I don't, you know, I'm older, and I watch everything that's going on, and I revel in it. And I love to watch these young guys like Tondera and their gifts you know, kind of exploding and our staff developing and people growing. And I just kind of stand back and think, well, praise God, I'm going to go take a nap for a while and just let this thing happen. <laughs> and that's a good thing, isn't it? So what I'm saying is God's got a journey, but it's not going to be exactly like you think. He wants you to follow him. And praying in the spirit is so important. So, so very important. Uh, we can now pray from our spirit. We can pray from our spirit. Matthew 27, 50 uh, says, uh, Jesus, after he's on the cross, and he's, he's on the cross that day, and I want to go back to this. It says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He died. Then behold, the veil, remember the veil we talked about in the beginning? The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks split. When the Lord died that day, the veil was torn from top to bottom. Now, this is in the temple, but this is also a picture of the tabernacle. And this veil in the temple was about the thickness, they say, of a man's hand. It was a big, thick curtain. And it was ripped from the top to the bottom. Not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom. This signified that man didn't tear it. God did. God ripped that veil open himself. And now the presence of God that was in the ark left. If we could find the ark today like Indiana Jones did, remember the movie? And then they, the, the people in Washington, the bureaucracy, put it in a box somewhere. And it's somewhere it's in a box in Washington, D.C. No, it's not. We don't know. That was the movie. Um, <laughs> we don't know where it is. I, I don't know. Maybe it's somewhere, you know. I mean, but if we found it. We could all walk right up and touch it today. You know why? Because the presence of God's not there anymore. Because he moved. I wonder if there was a noise when he left. I like that kind of stuff. But at the last breath of God, something changed. The presence of, the God, of God left that day. And now comes to resurrect the dead of whosoever believes. That presence that left that day is shooting around the earth. 
<laughs> and when people confess Jesus as Lord, and this has probably happened many times this morning as, we've, as we're preaching somewhere, somebody got saved, met the Lord. Isn't that exciting? Whenever somebody does that, that presence comes in to resurrect whosoever believes. When you believe in the presence that God did indwells the ark, then that presence lives in you when you believe it. A way was made to enter into the presence of God. Now, whosoever will may come. Hebrews 4, 16. Beautiful scripture. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment. It's a throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You know, I know we kind of believe this, but I don't think we make a big deal, big enough deal about this amazing truth that Christ lives in the believer. Amen. He lives in us. Let's read about that a little bit. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says this. Don't you realize, Paul is like adamant here, I think. Don't you realize, maybe shaking somebody, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a price. So you must honor God with your body. Paul is building the case that he's, he indwells us. He lives in us. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 says it this way. For it pleased the Lord that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile, reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you who are sometimes alienated, this is talking about me and you, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. That's interesting. We were enemies in our mind, or our minds were, were condemning us. Our minds telling us we don't have what it takes, and you're a loser, and, and we're enemies to God. We can't know God. But it says, now you have been reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Man, that is shouting territory. Isn't that awesome? It's what Christ did for us. And then we jump to verse 26. And Paul's coming to a, a great conclusion here about what he's been talking about. And he says, even the mystery that's been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. To whom God would make known. I mean, he's building this up. What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles? And here it is. Which is Christ in you. Everybody say in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The hope of glory is in you. Uh, see, here's the deal. If we kind of believe God just kind of comes and goes, and his presence does, okay? I'll say it this way. Whenever we get together as a church, His presence will manifest in our midst. And that's real. And, and it is a coming on of the presence of God. But, but here's the thing. The reason that presence is able to come on us is because He comes out of us. He's in there to come out of us, too. We can actually stir this deal up. He's in there, even when we don't feel like it. Uh, in fact, when you feel... The, the least likely that God could even be around whenever you're going through your worst stuff, I believe that's when he wants to be the closest. And we need to develop a God-inside-minded consciousness. So when trouble comes, we realize, I don't have to go look for God. No, 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 I, I, I'm walking with God. He's in me. 
He's in me to help me. He's right here. Uh, he's going to talk to me. I've got power that I need. I'm never without him. That doesn't mean you're going to feel him all the time, right? How many like to feel the presence of God? And you know, it's good. And it's a wonderful thing. And, and God, I don't think, minds that we're like that. We just like to feel when He's there. And But just because you don't feel like He's there doesn't mean He's not there. Because He is. And when we act like it and believe it, then it will manifest. This happened to me. This has happened to me many times. But one of the biggies was when back in, in the mid-'80s, uh, I've told this story in the church before, but I'll tell it to you guys again. Trudy and I, uh, I had come home from a meeting I'd been doing at a church, and I, she met me at the airport, and I said, how you doing? She said, I'm not feeling very good. I haven't been eating anything, and I went to the doctor, and I said, well, what did the doctor say? Well, it just said I had some kind of virus or something. So we went home that night. I'm not thinking much about it, and uh, in the middle of the night, she just starts shaking and chilling, and so I got blankets and put on her and I called the emergency room and I told them what was going on and they said oh she probably has just had this virus that's going around and so just bring her in in the morning or take her to the doctor in the morning and see what what the doctor says so that morning uh, I got up and I remember as I was getting up brushing my teeth she was still asleep and I had an alarm about me like huh this is serious something's going on so we did go to the doctor and uh, your spirit picks up on things by the way we did go to the doctor, and the doctor, I remember, he came in, and he'd just seen, us, seen her a couple of days before. And he walked out, and I remember the look in his eyes. I remember the fear I saw in his eyes. He said, you get her to the hospital right now. She's got a kidney infection. Uh, and somehow, I think he must have missed it when he did. I don't know. You know, doctors are, aren't, aren't, aren't perfect, though. So we took her to the doctor, kidney infection. I don't know that much about that. I'm thinking, well, okay, that, that's okay. She can get over that quickly. So we're in the hospital, but she just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And I left, and uh, a dear friend of ours was staying with Trudy, calls me up and says, you need to get back. She's, she's throwing up. And, and, and I came in, and, uh, and this lady is, in fact, played Miss Lana on the Gospel Bill show, well, probably Trudy's best friend. And Lana met me at the door, and she said, she said Kenny, she's really bad. He said, uh, just a few minutes ago, she said, she told me, I, I was talking to her, and I said, how are you doing? She said, I feel like I'm kind of lifting up. And so if you, Lana's a prayer warrior. And she said, I said, what'd you do? She said, I jumped in the middle of her and I said, I rebuke you, you spirit of death. You get off her. And so uh, she's not doing well. So this rocks on into about 8, 9, 10 o'clock that night. I can't remember what time it was. But a doctor comes in and takes me aside. I said, Mr. Blunt, I want you to know what we're facing here said, your wife has got a very extreme uh, kidney infection and it's kidney poisoning. Her blood is poison, is poison right now. We're fighting this with antibiotics, but she's so weak from not eating. We could lose her in the night. I want you to know how. I said, lose her in the night? I mean, I thought, what? With a kidney infection? I don't, I'm not a doctor, you know? But now we've we got to do some business, right? So I remember how... Uh, I was had so much fear coming against me and, and death and all these things, and I didn't know what to do, but the only thing I knew to do was to begin to praise God. And I, I, got, a scripture, I got a couple of scriptures that I began to stand on. The major one, though, that I found was Psalm 103 that says, uh, 
Bless the Lord who forgives all my iniquities, heals all my diseases. And I just began to say that, and I began to praise God. Well, later that night, I had to go. I left for a while to go take some clothes to the people that were keeping our kids. They were little then. Uh, Trudy was only 33 years old then. And uh, I took the, uh, or I went to the house, and it was late October in Tulsa. And this house we lived in, the entry faced the east. And there was this weird phenomenon that would happen when a northern would blow through just right. That house, that door would go, you know, it sounded like Halloween wind or something. So anyway, a northern had just blown through, the first one of the, of the, of the fall. So I opened the door. It was dark. And I was reaching over to turn the light switch on. And I saw in a moment of time, I saw a funeral in my mind. You know, the enemy can do this. And I heard the devil say, you'll never come back here as a family again. This is over. The way you knew your life is over. And I saw, a few, in a moment of time, I saw a funeral. I saw my kids brokenhearted. I saw me brokenhearted, wondering what I was going to do. And I just went through clenched teeth. I said, no, we will return here to worship God as a family. And I said it out loud. I just said it out loud. And so I got the clothes came back to the hospital now we're one in the morning two in the morning and i just walk in around her bed and i just i begin to sing and praise god and it was hard the band wasn't there okay <laughs> you didn't have an iphone back then with any music on it's just me just praising but i'm singing and nurses are coming in and out and i don't really care i'm I, i'm alone i'm but you know what I, I i'm real i know he's in there and i know god wants to help me but I'm at a tough time, and I had no feelings whatsoever. The only feeling I had was fear coming against me, but I do that. Three, four in the morning, I'd walk around her bed. I, could, I remember doing it right now. I finally sat down in a pleather chair. You know what pleather is? Uh, orange pleather chair. I can still see that chair. They had a lot of them in hospitals back then. And I went to sleep. I dozed off. Five in the morning, I hear this little voice, Kenny, weak voice, Kenny is Trudy. And I walked over and said, what, baby? She said, I need some food. I'm hungry. I said, you food? Yes. So I went, I ran to the nurse. I said, we need bacon, eggs. Come on. I need some food. She's hungry. She's waking up. And I'm jumping up and down. I go back, and she's sitting up in bed. We get her breakfast. She eats a whole plate of food. That thing broke like that. Just about 5 in the morning, the whole thing broke. And, and the doctor, I remember when he came in, he did a double take. He was amazed. In fact, uh, the I, I read the medical report, and the medical report stated they have no reason to understand how she came out of this. She should have died. Should have died. Right? Should have died according to the world. But history's changed just because this little crazy guy was willing to walk around the room and praise God. And, and it wasn't me. But, but God needs our faith. God needs our faith. Your family needs your faith. This church needs your faith. Your kids need your faith. They need to see that in operation. That's what we're beholden to do. And that presence, that presence is in you to carry these things out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One of these days, we're going to receive brand new bodies at the appearance of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And once again, back to the tabernacle, the presence of God that lives in us, that will be all over. I mean, our, our flesh will be brand new. I can't wait to see what I look like, you know.
if you're this pretty now, what are you going to look like? Thank you very much for all those amens. <laughs> First, thank you, Tondra. I was waiting hard for something. Took a while, took a while. Be a little quicker next time, okay? <laughs> First Corinthians fifteen fifty one. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye. For the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. Hallelujah. And we who are living will also be transformed. This is talking about the rapture of the church. When it happens, then everything, gonna, the dead people are going to get brand new bodies. Uh, brand new. Your body's going to, you know, think about it. People that have drowned in the sea and all their cells went everywhere. Somehow that's all going to come back together. How does God do this? He's God. He, he knows where every one, every piece of that DNA is. People have been blown up in wars. They get their, their body back resurrected, brand new. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And so this is going to have you, your spirit is brand new, but then we're going to get a brand new body one of these days. This is all, uh, th this is all coming. It's all on the way. But now in Christ, we can access God's presence. First Peter 2, 9. We're going to kind of close, begin closing with this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. There you go, a kingly priest. We are kings and priests unto God, a holy nation, his own special people. You see how special we all are? Man, you're something else to God. You're special people that we may proclaim the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We don't have to shrink back in fear, but can come to God confidently to access his presence. And that's what the tabernacle is all about. It's the journey from point A to point presence of God. And that tabernacle, my friend, is you. Is you. That's who we are. The outer court, our body, we bring in this into line. We go to the brazen altar, as, as Pastor Tondra I was talking about. And, and it, but we move past that. We, we can go to the labor now. We can go inside uh, the, uh, where all the, the different pieces of furniture are. And we can come right to the veil and go right in to the presence of God. So I will use, and we're going to read a prayer about this. These guys have this prayer, by the way. Yes, you could. So I hope you've seen this whole thing come full circle, right? So you have the tabernacle. of Moses and then it goes to David and then it goes to the temple and then it goes to you yep. see that journey 
He's dwelling in a tent here. He's dwelling in an open one. And then he dwells in the temple. And this one had so many courts and divisions. Women couldn't enter. Gentiles couldn't enter. And then there was this big place here, and this is where the curtain was. And this is where the presence of the Lord was. This one, only the high priest is entering. This one is open, that you could see it. And this one, now the division is even greater than that. And then he busts the whole thing open when the curtain, f when the curtain tears. And now his tabernacle is you. In you. Think about that. Think about the strength, the power that is on the inside of you. And that is a place to dwell. So what, when I studied this years ago, uh, I began to use it as a pattern of prayer, just to remind me of, uh, on the journey of prayer. Because prayer is a journey. You start point A in the flesh. You always start in the flesh. You always start by uh, your will. And but then I would consider every piece of furniture and walk through it and just see myself and coming into the presence of God. So we've written a prayer here as a pattern for you to follow. And I'm just gonna, as we close today, I'm just gonna read through this and kind of give you an idea you know it's not a law uh you don't have to pray this every time you pray <laughs> every everything in it but uh but it, it is a beautiful pattern that we can use to access the presence of god so here we go first of all we're going to start with the outer court of the body and then we go to the gate first of all and we pray first first of all i come to your gate lord your gate is beautiful and wide and welcomes me because you love me more than i can imagine i enter the gate with thanksgiving and I walk into your courtyard with praise. You are my God. You love me, and I love you. I present my body to you today as a living sacrifice. I am yours. Use me today for your glory. And then we come to the brazen altar. I step further in and encounter the brazen altar. I am reminded of the price that Jesus paid for me. He went through the torture of total abuse for me. A crown of thorns was placed on his head which represents the curse placed on Adam being lifted from me. I am free from the curse of thorns, which represents lack. I am blessed in my finances today. He was scourged so that I can be physically healed today. And just as the bull was sacrificed on the brazen altar and died, Jesus died in my place. I now have an everlasting covenant with Almighty God, my Father. I have a dad. Lord, Everything I have is yours today. I will obey you to give and be a blessing to the people I encounter. Thank you that everything you have is mine. I receive the full blessing that you purchased by the precious blood today. Then I come to the labor. I come now to the labor. I take a hard look at myself. Reveal to me if there's anything in my life that is displeasing to you. I repent where I've missed it and receive forgiveness and cleansing from sin. May the water of your word wash me now. Just as I was water baptized and made a commitment to live a resurrected life for you, I commit to that anew today. 
I am yours. Then we come to the inner court, which represents the mind. We come to the table of showbread first. The showbread reminds me that I don't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from God. I have been given authority to govern my life, and I do so by the word. Thank you, Lord, for peace in my mind today. I believe that you have made me righteous by Jesus' blood. I declare and confess you are ever present with me. You will guide me. You're my healer. You're my victory in times of trouble. I look to you as my total provision, and everything I need for this day is found in you. Now I come to the menorah. The menorah reminds me that the precious Holy Spirit enlightens my mind today. Holy Spirit, thank you for your counsel in my life. You, you are always there to help me. You are my advocate and attorney to stop the accusations of the enemy. You are my comforter when trouble comes. When I pray today, you intercede with me. You strengthen me for anything I face, and you are standing by me always. You will never leave me or forsake me. Hallelujah. Altar of incense. I remind myself that my prayers and praise are being heard today. I have perfect communication with my Father. The heavens are open today, and there is no distance between me and you. I also dedicate myself to watch my words today. I refuse to gossip and slander people. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight today, my Father. And then we come to the Holy of Holies, which represents our mind. And now, Lord, we remind ourselves that the veil that separated us, separated us from God has been torn. We have access to your manifest presence today, and amazingly, that presence is in me, in my spirit. I have been born again. My spirit is brand new. I am infused with God's presence and power. The glory of Almighty God through my Lord Jesus Christ lives in me, in me, in my heart today. May I be aware of your presence and may it keep me clean. I determined to put your word into my spirit today as was represented in the ark by the Ten Commandments. I make a commitment to put your word in me today. I live by your voice on the inside of me as represented by the manna. You speak to me frequently and I am able to hear you. I am your sheep and know your voice and the voice of a stranger I recognize and don't follow. I am led by the spirit today. Satan and his lies have no authority or place in me. I walk in supernatural authority as represented by Aaron's rod. I honor your presence in me. I will manifest that holy presence in my life and in all I do today. Jesus, I am your house. Live big in my portable tabernacle, my body, mind, and spirit today. Amen. That's good, isn't it? Amen. Praise God.